Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner, your co-hosts. Good morning. Welcome, Bruce. Good morning. So. I don't know when we're going to release this podcast, but it is the holiday seasons, so it's getting colder out. Um, so I hope our listeners are having a good holiday season. That is awesome. And thank you for saying that, Bruce. I always forget to be relevant to the actual moment that we're recording. So for any of you listening live, we definitely, I want to say happy Thanksgiving. Hope your Thanksgiving was great. And yes, we're looking forward to Christmas right around the corner. So um, all right. So today we're going to be digging into a question. This is from a listener. And I love that the question had so much depth and so much detail. So we're going to take a whole episode dedicated just to this one question. And it is really on the idea of what is using the infinite banking concept for the purpose of making a purchase. And why is it better than any other option? I could say, why is it better than paying cash? But really it compares multiple types of making a purchase and why there's multiple things that you want to think through beyond just the interest you pay or the cash that you pay. And we want to think about the whole cost and really why is the infinite banking concept so powerful at helping you to grow wealth? So I want to first read through this question, Bruce. I think I'm going to take it all the way through and then we're going to need to come back to parts. Does that work for you or do you want to stop through the question? Uh, We can do it. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. We can take it in parts. All right. So let's do this here. All right. So here is the question. Thank you so much for all the information you've provided on the infinite banking concept. I really enjoy your podcast and the way you explain how banking works for a life insurance policy. You're putting out some great content. So first of all, thank you for that. He says, I've been reading Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. I'll just pause there. Thank you for going back to the source and really seeking to understand and digging in. So This is a person who's choosing to be self-educated. So thank you and good on you for that. So I've been reading Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, and really have learned a lot and appreciate the way it has challenged my thinking. I do have a question regarding the chart and explanations on page 41, where Nelson Nash discusses the different ways to purchase a car. Now, um, let me share part of his question, and then we're going to dip over into the actual text of Nelson Nash's book to help you understand what this question means. He says, methods A, B, and C are very familiar to me, but method D and E are new concepts to me. It never occurred to me that I could purchase a car using the bank CD method, which shows to be superior to paying cash. Since this is the banking concept, but just using someone else's bank, I think it's important that I understand how this works, and I'm just not quite grasping it. I think it would be helpful to me if you could explain and provide examples of how the bank CD method works and why it's more effective than paying cash. I can see from the chart that it is obviously better, but I just don't totally understand why. Somewhere I'm missing something in my understanding of this concept and I'm just not learning it very well from the book. Maybe I'm not seeing the math the same way and it doesn't seem to be explained very well in the book, at least to me. Um, Bruce, I kind of took a big chunk of that. There is still more to the question, Yeah, but I think that's maybe a good stopping spot to give some context for what he's asking about. Yeah, I'd like to uh, give our listeners a little context of this. 
I, I don't know how many of our listeners have heard other podcasts, but, you know, I had the pleasure of having Nelson as my personal mentor for years and years and years. And, and Nelson would also espouse the fact that Mary, his wife, would get a car um, on his, on his, uh, on his terms every, I think it was five years or maybe it was four years. Yeah. I think it was four years, whether Mary wanted it or not. And, and he would espouse the fact that, you know, he would show Mary how they would do this through the infinite banking concept. And he would have the, he would put it up on the, on the screen and he would show the audience about how uh, you're getting a new car and Mary would be very, very happy. And they would be using their, uh, they would be using their policy uh, by borrowing against the cash value and thus not interrupting the compounding effect of, of the whole life insurance contract, which has guarantees. I think that's one of the things that Nelson always talked about, he would say, this is not the only way that you could finance a car. First of all, we could do it the traditional way of financing. And that is the fact that he would, he would say, you go to the bank and you would ask for a loan. And if you had reasonable ways of paying it back cash flow, then the loan would give that to, or the, the bank would give it to you. But then who is, who is actually capturing the interest and that is the bank. Mm-hmm. You could do it a way a lot of Americans do it. And that is they save up every month a portion in a savings account. And then they get to the point where they have enough money to purchase a car. They withdraw the money from the bank and buy the car. So that's those are the two ways that most Americans understand how you do it. There are other ways that you mm-hmm. could do it. You could actually get a home equity line of credit against your house. And this is a way that some Americans do it because um, home equity lines of credit are are very easy once you get them established. They're not easy to establish, but they're very easy to use once you get them established. There's a couple of of problems with home equity line of credit, which I personally experienced and many of my clients experienced in 2008, where they can freeze those lines of credit, the banks can, per contract. It says it in the contract. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the other problem is, is that you're borrowing against an asset that is not guaranteed to go up. And so you could actually be what's called underwater, which a lot of people uh, experienced that in 2008. And we're actually in another real estate bubble now, although I don't think it's the same kind of real estate bubble, but we have um, home prices skyrocketing right now. And in any basic economics course, you would see from the business theory that that cannot be sustained and will come, come back down. Now, how much it will come back down is yet to be seen. An- another way you could do it is uh, or another example, I should say, is in a margin account with a brokerage firm. You know, you can borrow against the the uh, the margin account to buy more stocks. If you are a high net worth individual, you can actually go to the bank and and put up collateral, mm-hmm. uh, and you can b- borrow against that. But once again, that margin account is not guaranteed. This is the uniqueness 
of whole life insurance, that this is you're borrowing against something that has a guaranteed rate of return. I, I appreciate it. And, and the person that um, actually asked this question, his name was Dave. Dave, we appreciate this question. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that the, the unique compounding of this guaranteed is what uh, makes that sets us apart. And you actually you actually said something to this. You said, well, isn't it just a, a wash loan? In other words, what you're saying, David, is uh, you're paying interest over here to back to the life insurance comp- company, but the life insurance company is also guaranteeing you interest. And although they're not guaranteeing you dividends, the history of the life insurance co- companies paying dividends for over 115 years proves that it's highly probable that you're going to get those. So that is the main that is the main difference. It's the compounding effect of not only that that uh, initial premium but the interest and dividends that will continue to compound on top of that and you don't interrupt that. Mm-hmm. And Nelson used to always talk about this too is it's not about rates of return. And we get caught up in rates of return and interest. And and actually, Nelson also, I think, and he admittedly says this, said this while he was still alive, that people get caught up in rates of returns. And even if you didn't get it as a wash loan, if you understood that it's not about rates of return, it's about who's controlling the banking function, Mm -hmm. not only for the compounding, but also the terms of this. So, uh, with a bank loan, you cannot determine whether you're going to skip a payment. You, you cannot determine whether you're going to lower the payment or or uh, uh, stop a payment for a period of time. Or frankly, even though we do not advise this because uh, Nelson talks it in his book about stealing the piece, not even paying it back. Mm-hmm. And so you control all the terms which you do not control in any kind of other financing situation. Yeah, I think what's interesting is um, for somebody who maybe is a little newer to the concept, I would like to just kind of go back. What specifically is this question referring to with method A, B, C, D, and E? So in the book, and you can get this from um, Nelson Nash's Becoming Your Own Banker book. This is on page 41, as he refers to. There's a diagram that shows your cost of using each of these methods. Method A is leasing a vehicle. He basically talks about it's the most expensive way to own a vehicle because not only are you paying, sorry, I need to back this up even a little bit further. He talks about, like you said, for what he did in his own life with Mary, he talks about purchasing a new car every four years. Now, this book was written a while ago. Maybe your cost of the car would be a little bit different, but what he sets up is a 10550 Did I say that right? $10,550 cost of each new car every four years. And he finances this at a rate of 8.5%. And each loan is then amortized over four years. And at the end of four years, so you purchase the car, pay the loan for four years, get a new car as soon as the loan is paid off and start a new loan every four years. So meaning when you amortize the loan, you're always over the span of 44 years that he works out this example, every single month you're making a car payment. There's no space in between paying off a car and buying a new one. He just is 
straight through. You pay for four years. At the end of the four years, you get a new car and pay on that next one for four years. And so that we're looking over a total of 44 year time frame. The first he said is you can just lease the car. You have the cost going out. You can't know exactly. He said it's hard to know exactly what the full cost of that would be. But what he ends up saying is you're going to pay and you have no value of a car at the end. You have the car belongs to the owner. You're not the owner. You have no equity. It's purely a cost. Yeah. Rachel, before you go to the next part uh, or espousing this, um, I had many conversations with Nelson about this, and I have many conversations with my clients about this. And leasing is the most expensive, but it is also the way that you can obtain a car um, that is above your means. And this is what is appealing to a lot of people. Uh, I'm not judging people on this, but if people read Nelson's book about becoming your own banker. It's not only a book about economics. It's about a book about human behavior. Mm-hmm. And I have seen this over and over again. Um, I experienced this in my own family. I won't tell you who it was in my family. It wasn't my direct family who actually leased the car. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating here because I don't know if people know about leasing a car. If you go, you only get so many miles to drive it a year. Oh, I did because, not know that. Yes, because what will happen is the more you more the the more miles you put on the car, the the uh, less equity it'll have because it depreciates more in value. So that has to be figured into the actuarial calculation. And so the way the leasing companies do it, if you go over that, you have to pay in most cases twenty five cents a mile for every mile you go over it. Wow, well, that okay. can that can come into thousands of dollars of additional costs. Well, the family member that uh, I did or in my family did this, that cost went because you get a new car, you want to drive it. So you and you, you, you have this. This is once again, this is about human behavior, which Nelson understood greatly. And so. What ends up what end up happening is people drive and they go all they go all the way up to that maximum and then go over it, mm-hmm. and then they find out they had this big bill at the end. And this is why I'm explaining what Nelson says. It's difficult to calculate the total cost. And so what this particular family member did is they got to their to their maximum amount of miles, parked the car in the garage because they still had a year and a half. Of pay of lease payments, went out and bought another used car because they knew as they amortized that going forward, extrapolated the cost going forward, it was cheaper to buy another car than to go over the the miles for the lease car. Wow! So then he had a year and a half of a a car sitting that he's paying on that he can't use. That's exactly right. Or she. Yeah. And, and once again, I'm not saying that was necessarily a, that was probably a smart move to do it like that, but I've seen client, my clients of mine that have done that and just kept driving it, putting more miles and, and they think they're only paying $350 a month of a lease payment. And that then at the end, they have a six, seven, I've seen as high as $10,000 additional payment at the end, which wow. if you amortize that is, is adding hundreds of dollars of, of, lost not only lease payment, but lost opportunity costs. 
absolutely. This, that's, I wanted to explain why it's difficult to calculate the total cost uh, uh, because you don't know how much you're going to drive and the additional payments you're going to have to make. That's really helpful. I had no idea. So, um, so that definitely factors in to why um, he doesn't have an exact rate. He later comes in to say that if you lease the car over these 44 years, you'd be in the ballpark of paying about $175,000 for the cost of that car. And he works that kind of backwards and uses, um, starting at the end, working backwards to solve for that um, after looking at purchasing a car using a traditional loan. So that was method A was leasing. Method B was bank financing. And so he kind of walks through exactly what that looks like here. You go to the commercial bank, you get a loan. He then calculates, okay, the 10,550, if you use a simple loan calculator, you say, okay, what is the cost per month if I'm going to pay 8.5% interest and I'm going to pay this over the span of 48 months. And so that comes down to $260 per month. And then as I mentioned earlier, you're never stopping those payments because as soon as you have paid off that first car, you're going to purchase a second car. And just for the sake of the discussion, he kept every single vehicle at the same cost. So now granted, you're going to in real life have inflation impacting that. The cost of your car is probably not going to stay flat over 44 years. But for the sake of discussion, this means now if you're financing, you're always having a payment. This is the cost of your car at 8.5% interest, then he has a $260 per month payment every single month for 44 years, which is actually, uh, it's long. I put it down in my notes here, but you're in the ballpark of 500 some payments. So what happens here is that the total cost of the car at the end of 44 years, the total cost of having an automobile to use over the full span of 44 years is $137,000, $137,280, I should say, dollars at the end, so it makes more sense. So $137,280. So he's showing that that's probably going to be a little bit less than the cost of leasing. He extrapolated then that leasing a car would probably be a little more than that, which is why he just pegged an arbitrary figure of $175,000. So those are pretty simple and basic to understand. Then we talk about C, the method of paying cash, which often people will say, well, look, I don't want to pay interest because I don't want to pay interest. I'm going to pay cash instead. And so I'm going to save all this money and I'm going to pay less for my car. Well, you'll pay a little bit less if you just look at the actual outflow of dollars, but let's think about what this actually means. So in paying cash, what's going to happen is if you're going to buy a new car every four years, first, you're going to have to in year one, two, three, and four, well, through the first, second, third, and fourth year, you're going to have to save up the money to be able to buy that car. So you're deferring the use of a vehicle for the first four years. Then they use the same logic and the same math and work this out to say what um, what you're basically doing then is you're purchasing the car for $10,550 after you've saved up the money for it. And then every month you're going to have to make payments back to your savings account so that you are going to be able to purchase the next car four years down the road. Bruce, is there anything else you want to say about that? Purchasing well, and, method? and I think you're going, I think you're going, I thought you were going in this direction, which 
is often lost nowadays because people are like, well, I'm not making any money in my savings account anyway. Yes. And actually, this is a really important part because Nelson used to always say, uh, you're always paying interest. You're either, you're either paying interest to another financial institution or you're giving up the ability to earn interest. Mm-hmm. And that is the argument that I hear all the time. Well, I'm just going to pay cash because I, because it's not working in my, I'm not making anything in my savings account anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. You're not making anything in your savings account, but is there another financial institution that you could use that you would make something? And, and that's, exactly. the, that's another key point in this particular And that's uh, why method. there's more than three ways to buy a car. That's why Nelson introduces these other two methods that most people don't think of because Really, if we really come down to it, most people, if you said lease, finance, or pay cash, I mean, that's the majority of everyone is probably using those three options to drive a car over the span of their lifetime. So when we look at then paying cash, even without factoring in the lost opportunity cost of the interest you could have made if you weren't putting it into a bank account to make the purchases, we're looking at just a flat cost of $116,050. So we could argue the cost is actually higher than that if we factor in the lost opportunity cost. But just if we're looking at it here, so far cash is a little less expensive, but we're still having a pretty expensive burden of cost going towards paying for the use of a car. So then Nelson introduces a third method, and this is what he calls the CD financing method. And so um, he said it requires a little bit of explanation. So let me explain in the beginning. He talks about you're going to first accumulate your money in a savings account, and then you're going to buy a CD. And he said, if you're buying a CD of $5,000 every year for seven years, that yields 5.5% interest. Then he even factors in what if you're in a 30% tax bracket? Well, 30% tax on that really means a net growth rate of 4%. So he then walks that out and you can prove this if you go to calculator.net and you can work these numbers out as well. So the CD balance then at the end of seven years is $41,070 and 13 cents. And Bruce, I think this is where it was really helpful that you shared earlier. Nelson understood human behavior because he really gives a big plug to somebody who's willing to use this method above like head and shoulders above the idea of just leasing just bank financing or just paying cash. He said the person who chooses to capitalize a bank of their own by using a CD is at least doing the capitalization. They value putting capital aside and getting that to work for them and earning a return, not just having it sit in the bank account, barely earning anything. And so the idea of, he said, you've conquered Parkinson's law, you're spending less than you make, you're living within your means, you are valuing putting capital aside to work for you. We're head and shoulders. We're steps way, way beyond the other three methods of financing, but there's still a couple of flaws here. Um, Then he talks about in year seven, you self-finance, you withdraw from the CD account, your $10,550 in year seven to purchase the car. And then he says you pay back principal and interest every month to the CD account. So he shows though that at the end, you actually have more cash than you mm-hmm. you spent money in the first three instances where you're actually making money 
in the third instance or in the fourth instance by using the bank financing. I will point out here that he's the difference or the the reason that you're having this difference of um, a shift that you're actually starting to make money now versus just spending money is that you're in a position that you're capitalizing over a longer period of time at the beginning for seven years versus just saving up only the dollar amount you need to make the purchase. So instead of saying, well, I've saved up $10,550, now it's time to buy a car, you're instead delaying that purchase longer and you're saving more cash up front and you're building up a, a pool of capital that's $41,000 before you make the purchase. Yeah, Meaning, and the other, re- yeah, oh, go, sorry, ahead. go ahead. And the other thing is you're actually paying additional interest back to yourself. Yes. Where if you're, where if you're just, if you are just, um, paying like cash, for instance, you're just paying whatever the cash amount to accumulate that amount. You're not paying additional interest back yourself. Now, once again, this is this is something that comes up all the time when I'm talking to people. They're saying, well, wait a minute, Nelson says that you're paying interest back to yourself and, you, and the insurance company saying, no, the interest is going to them. Both things are true. Because what Nelson is saying in his book, if you read it carefully, if they're if the if the insurance company is charging you X, he says, why don't you charge yourself even more than X and pay it back to yourself? Now you're not that additional um, interest payment over X is simply a payment into the paid up additions account. That's all it is. And so if you work with somebody and you maximize that you your every dollar that you could put in the paid up additions account anyway you're technically paying that additional interest to to yourself so to put That's this in well layman, said. yeah to put this in layman's terms even better currently every insurance company except a few and then we get into direct and non-direct recognition but they're all hovering around 5% because they base it upon the Moody Bond Index, the interest rate that you have to pay back to the insurance company. So Nelson would say, why not charge yourself 8%? Why not charge yourself 10%? Then that, that, that additional 3% of your charge yourself, 8% is going into the PUAs. Or if you charge yourself 10%, is that additional 5% is going into your PUAs. This is simply a way to encourage you to save more money. Mm-hmm. It's not a magic calculation. It's not an economic uh, way to, to grow your money more. It's simply a human behavior to save more money. And Nelson knew that if you had an automatic draft coming out of your your bank account that was a, was higher than what the insurance company was paying you, you would save more money. Just like everybody knows that if you have a subscription service, you tend not to lose that money and it keeps coming out of your checking account. That's why a health club membership wants to get you on a monthly membership because mm-hmm. there's actually an app now that you can buy that will look for all the subscription services and cancel them for you, which is a really sad comment on society right now that somebody can actually give a service to people 
You pay for it on a monthly basis. Just think about that. You pay for it on a monthly basis so that it eliminates other subscription services that you're not using. So you pay for something to help you unpay for the things for, that you shouldn't be things. paying for in the first place. <laughs> and so Nelson knew this human behavior was true. So mm -hmm. that's why he encouraged people to pay themselves more than the insurance company was charging them. And that's what he says, you're paying yourself interest. Mm -hmm. I hope people will open their minds to this concept because the reason that people are having difficulty with this, there have been a lot of people that are not Nelson Nash trained individuals out there on the internet that continue to talk about paying yourself interest back. And that interest is like you don't, you're not paying interest to the insurance company. That is absolutely false. And if you're working with somebody that's telling you that, then you're, they're probably not designing things properly in the first place. And the last thing I'd like to say on this is to reiterate the fact that an interest payment is simply a payment into the PUAs, the paid up additions, which are optional. But if you're already working with somebody that's helping you maximize by, by contract those PUAs, there will be no room to make additional interest payments back into your policy. So, so just keep that in mind because people get hung up on that. Well, Nelson says pay more interest to yourself. Well, Nelson also, I had many conversations, said, Bruce, if you're already maximizing, then they're already doing that. Mm -hmm. So if I may say it in my own words, just because I feel like this is helpful to me and hopefully to someone else listening, when you borrow from your cash value in a whole life insurance policy, there is an interest rate associated with repaying that loan. The interest rate, say it's 5%. That is not interest you pay to yourself. That's interest you pay to the insurance company for the use of their money. Now, and interrupt, and interrupt yes. me real quickly. That's what David's saying in his question. Uh, I'm going to pay that, but I'm also going to make money on the money I put in. So it's basically a wash loan. In other words, yes. you're making as much as you, you're paying. That's why David was confused. He's like, I don't get why that's a better method. So go ahead. Yes. Okay. So if I choose to pay myself back eight and a half percent, or if I choose to pay eight and a half percent on this loan, rather than just the 5% that the insurance company charges for the cost of their access to their general fund, their their capital that they're loaning me against my cash value inside my policy. Now I can pay that extra three and a half percent if I have not been fully paying my PUAs as designed in the policy. If I'm already fully paying my PUAs as designed in the policy, then I cannot pay extra interest and I cannot pay it to myself. Now in a roundabout way, anytime we pay to the insurance company, that is income to them. It grows their fund overall, which then is going to come back to me in the form of dividends. So in a very indirect manner, you could say you end up benefiting from the interest that you paid to the insurance company. It's not the same thing as paying interest to yourself, the, the interest rate that is charged by the insurance company. That's a company. very good point. Okay. So 
let's, there's a lot of places we can go here. We need to finish his question. I think we also need to finish explaining what is method D and bump it over into method E. So let's just go back to Nelson Nash's book for a second. So we're in method D. This is, I bought the CD. I bought seven CDs, $5,000 per year for seven years. And the net growth rate on those is 4%. I have a balance in year seven of $41,071.13. Now I'm going to withdraw $10,550, purchase my car, pay back principal and interest, as we said, back to the CD account. So the difference here is the initial capitalization phase. You have more time that you're putting cash in. You also have a growth rate on the account. So even though it's only a net of 4%, that's way higher than you're going to get on a bank savings account. Then in addition, you're repaying at interest. So those are the factors causing you to be in a much better position. And I did find the cost on that. And he said it was... So then there's a chart a little further on. And I will just say that over the course of 44 years, what happens is now in my CD account, if I've continued to take out every four years, 10550 then pay back to the CD account with principal and interest, he shows a balance in the CD account now in year 44 of $187,000, 228. Let me say dollars at the end. $187,228.76. So $187,000 over that is in your CD account. And so now you're saying... I've moved from this position of just having a cost of purchasing a car to I'm using my method of purchasing vehicles and having access to them in a way that is putting me further ahead financially because I'm growing my money in an account. And instead of just thinking of buying the car, I'm paying myself back interest. So I'm using a banking method. I'm just using a bank CD. Bruce, anything that you want to clarify there? Yeah, I, I'm just going to put another little tidbit on here. You know, towards the end of Nelson's life, um, as people kept saying to him more and more, and he would get, Nelson was a very God-fearing man, a very gentle man, but mm-hmm. occasionally he would get irritated because people would say, I don't believe your book because you're saying I could get, you know, eight and a half, I'm paying eight and a half percent where I can get a zero percent interest loan at at the car manufacturer right now. And Nelson would say, you don't understand economics then because are you really believing that the car manufacturer is financing your car at 0%? Of course, you're paying more for the car if you're there, if they're giving you financing at 0%. And then he would, then people would say, well, yeah, but and you're also saying the dividend rates are a lot higher mm-hmm. and the dividend rates are, he goes, And he would get frustrated over and over. And he would say to me, he goes, Bruce, I wish, and not just me, but all the other, he would say, Bruce, sometimes I wish I would never put charts in the book. And that is something I want people to think about right now. The infinite banking concept. Okay. Who controls the banking function in your life? Mm -hmm. If you think about how many banks as you drive down the street there are, And they start with not lending out their money. They start by lending out the depositor's money. And they 
get to actually increase it by by fractional reserve banking. And all these banks are profitable, some of the most profitable institutions. If you just say to yourself, I'm not, I'm going to stop trying to figure out how what's my rate of return here. If this is it a wash loan? Everybody has a, a need to store capital somewhere. So if you take control of the banking function in your life, conceptually, you'll come out ahead, mm-hmm. not only because of the math, but because of human behavior. And that's why it's called the infinite banking concept. Get the rates of return out of your mind and you'll do a lot better and take action going mm-hmm. forward. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about that is it is all about, I have a place to store cash. And because I'm not just putting cash in and taking cash out, instead, I'm continuing to keep that cash growing with a rate of, it doesn't matter what the rate of return is, but the fact that it's uninterrupted, that it continues to grow, it's not staying a stagnant number, it's it's increasing. So when I say rate of return, it's increasing. I should say it's increasing, it's compounding. And it's not interrupting that compound growth because it can borrow against it. That's the power of being able to use infinite banking. And I also have a death benefit that is then going to replenish everything that I did in in my life. And that's the real reason to even use it is to have the death benefit and to protect your family and to protect your legacy and be able to have something that will take care of your loved ones. What's really interesting is it can also be used as a place to store cash. What's interesting, uh, Nelson used to say, here's the only uh, number stat you need to know. 100% of the people that are born are going to die. That's the importance of the death benefit. Mm -hmm. Because that's another sure thing that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And when you leverage that death benefit into a higher number, if that's important to you, and once again, I know we're talking to a lot of younger people that don't think that's important right now, but you'd be surprised how many times I've met with people over my 30 plus years of doing this as they get older. Oh, I don't like the fact that the PUAs are falling off. Oh, I don't like the fact that the term writer's falling off. So that's a good point uh, to bring in the death benefit on this also, Rachel. Yes. And I'll actually um, just give an even bigger plug on the death benefit. Many of you who have listened to the podcast for a long time know part of my story. And really, I went into a a day that was just like any other day thinking I was going to live for the next 80 plus years because I'm not only invincible, but super healthy and feeling amazing. And I'm young and healthy. I was going in to deliver my second daughter. And almost like I got pounded to reality and to to the floor, I I realized that my life was not that guaranteed. Um, I ended up in a situation where I lost almost all of my blood and had to have a full blood transfusion, went into another complication called DIC, where I was having a severe clotting factor throughout my body, but it wasn't stopping the bleeding. And I was in a very dire situation where I had a 50% chance of, of survival. And from there, went unconscious. They're hoping that that the blood transfusion is going to work. They're reporting to my husband. We don't know if she's going to make it. It was a really, really, really scary time for us. Thankfully, it was over very quickly. I miraculously recovered from that. But that reality 
that our life is not guaranteed, that we don't know what tomorrow holds. And I'm not trying to share that to scare anyone. I think there can be the the fear or the um, the challenge with talking about a death benefit and the need for a death benefit that we can have this scarcity mindset settle in and and we're looking for dragons and we're scared of the future. I do not in any way want you to carry that away from this. It's the reality is though, we are all going to die at some point. So can we prepare best for that moment and make sure that that moment, whenever it occurs in our life is the best possible financial transition for our family that is in our power. And we do have the capability to make that decision today by using life insurance. So we've talked a lot about this question. Um, I'm going to go real quick back to Nelson Nash's book for a second. He does then um, talk more about human behavior in this, which um, he says, you know, if you tell the the auto company that you have $40,000 sitting in an account somewhere, they're going to say, oh, well, then don't buy this car, buy a much better car because you can afford it. You deserve it. And so he talks again about the importance really of conquering that Parkinson's law and being a person who does build successful money habits by spending less than you earn and not using all of your cash to fund expenses and your lifestyle. So then he goes into method E. This is where he uses the concept of infinite banking. And he says, okay, what if instead of using a CD, you put your cash into whole life insurance, specially designed, dividend paying, whole life insurance with a mutual company properly designed so that you have maximum early cash value and the most long-term growth and a death benefit. So this is a very comprehensive product that is going to not only benefit you at the end of your life, but also during your years that you're living up to that and can help with purchases. We don't often talk about purchasing cars or making expense purchases or lifestyle purchases with infinite banking. And so I think this question is interesting, certainly not the only way you can use your cash, but it is an option and it does give you a better choice to make purchases. So really what he's talking about here is instead of putting cash into a CD, it's exactly the same thing, except you're putting $5,000 per year into a policy for seven years. And then he talks about financing by withdrawing dividends And then um, he is not using policy loans. That was, I thought, a little interesting, but he is paying back to the life insurance policy with interest. And you're, instead of just earning that interest on your CDs, you're earning interest and dividends, and you have the compounding effect of that. So, I mean, really, when it comes down to it, Bruce, when I look at the difference between a CD versus using life insurance to do this same strategy of capitalizing a bank borrowing against that capital, keeping my cash working as much as possible, and always paying myself back with interest. If I think about using that strategy, the reason why I would be inclined to use, and I do choose to use whole life insurance instead of a CD is because it's a better place to store cash. I have more choices of how I can access that capital. I have a better growth rate. I have more benefits. I get a life a death benefit as well with the life insurance versus just the growth on my capital sitting there. I mean, it's really, to me, it's looking at the the bare bones really is what is the, what tool will give me the most benefits. And that always comes back to whole life insurance for me. Yeah. The CD, they're both, they both have limited liquidity, especially in the early years. But once you get to year seven, it's really close with the CD. If forever, for whatever reason you had to 
withdrawal before the uh, CD became mature, you can certainly do that, but you lose all of the interest that you have obtained at that time. With at least in the limited liquidity with whole life insurance, you do not uh, lose any of the compounding. Uh, you simply, do, you, the what you lose is the ability to withdraw the entire amount where you can withdraw the entire amount in the, in the CD. So they both have limited liquidity, but one is going to interrupt the compounding, the CD, if you withdraw it before it matures, where if you withdraw any money from the whole life insurance before uh, the limited liquidity comes that you cannot get to all of your money, mm -hmm. uh, but you still have the compounding from the original entire amount of the premium, not just the amount that you're able to access, but from the entire premium amount, which is a key concept for people to understand. You know, because we're referring to the book and because it does have a chart in this book, I want to point out a couple of things from this chart. When Nelson used a chart to show the difference in what you would end up with at the end of 44 years, he did use current rates at that time for what you can get in a CD and a current rate that you could earn in a whole life insurance policy based on, at the time of the writing, the interest rate environment, the dividend rate environment, the growth rate on policies, the the interest rate and the cost of capital that you could get with bank financing. So, I mean, do people pay 8.5% for a car loan today? Probably not. Do we earn 5.5% uh, on a CD with 30% tax and net growth of 4%? No. So these numbers, while they're not unreasonable, you have to realize that historically, these comparisons were accurate and they were um, they were good a good way to look at the data based on the information at the time. So he does show that your cash and your IBC account, he used an actual illustration from a policy that was properly designed that did grow significantly higher in the later years after about year 14. You show, or he showed with an illustration, again, a projection for what that particular policy was planning to do or what would do if dividends stayed exactly the same as they were when the initial policy was illustrated at the time of writing the book into ad infinitum, I think is how you say that, into infinity. So what this shows at the end of 44 years, he was in a position with 551,000 and change in that account versus only 187,000 in the CD account. So while those numbers may not be the actual numbers on your policy illustration, what is important to note is that what I see today is the growth rate on whole life insurance still outpacing CDs. So the comparison would still be relevant. It just would have different numbers. I will also point out something that um, I normally wouldn't choose to disagree, but I am going to I'm just point something out. What is interesting is that Nelson then continues on the chart and walks us out to the 65th year since this was put in place. And he shows the possibility of even using either the CD account or the life insurance account for replacement income. And so what's interesting, he talks then about using $50,000 per year starting in the year, the 52nd year of this. So after all the auto purchasing is finished, then he moves over into a retirement income section and just shows that based on how much capital is there and what the growth rate is, 
if you did take out fifty thousand a year from the CD account, the money would last, uh, I think, about five and a half years. Five, yeah, about five and a half years. Whereas with the whole life insurance account, he showed taking out income for twelve years and still having a significant death benefit and significant cash value. Now, the reason I don't necessarily like that that illustration is that we don't advocate taking supplemental income from your policy. If you get to a point where down the road, you're in a position where you do have the cash value and you're standing at the moment of saying, how do I look at my actual income needs? And can I use my life insurance policy for that? Yes, possibly we would talk about how to strategically work that into an income plan. What I don't like is starting today and projecting out 60 years from now, you'll have this X amount of dollars, which means this X amount of income, because we know, again, illustrations are just projections. And I I don't like to give the potentially misleading view that this should be used in that manner. What is interesting to note, though, is that there is sufficient growth and cash value that allows you to have a lot more options. So that is a, a powerful note, I think, to end on. I agree. Uh, the, the only thing I'd like to end on now is what I find very interesting in our new world, our world that um, has political people uh, not listening to each other, not having open minds. It has actually come down into the financial world. Um, it, and the financial world had been brewing and brewing and brewing. Uh, to where a securities person that only picks stocks and bonds uh, tells people how terrible life insurance is mm. and how life insurance people tell people how terrible stocks and bonds are. And really what we are looking for at the Money Advantage is a person who wants to explore the educational opportunity to see which one fits them the best, and it doesn't have to be an either or. However, we do believe the foundational basis of anybody's financial plan is where they store capital before it's deployed. Mm -hmm. Most people just store it in a bank, and we're saying that you have the opportunity to look at a new way of doing this, a new way in your mind. This has been around for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. but a new way in your mind to actually store the money at a different place. Everybody has the need to store capital to then deploy it into other avenues, whether it be equities, whether it be a private placement, whether it be your business, whether it be any kind of investment endeavor that you would like. And this, the design of how you do that now has come to a point where a certain faction of people on the internet are saying there's only one way of doing it and we are going to disparage people from doing it a different way because they are that agency is just out for themselves this is see you should only do it this way we say you should do it what's best for you and your way of thinking example i have followed the nelson nash way of of designing my personal policies in a variety of different ways, depending on where I was at my particular stage in my life. Currently, I just did a term conversion on my wife that 
I decided to allocate 100% of the money to a base policy only Mm -hmm. and not PUAs. And the reason I did it was twofold. I have plenty of liquidity in other aspects of my life. The second reason I did it is because I, I'm not saying I'm predicting this, but I am anticipating the fact that interest rates are going to go up. And I have seen over my career that dividends that go up are applied more advantageously to a the base dividend grows greater because of the way that the insurance companies apply the dividend to the base policy. We need to get into a point, not only in the industry, but in society where we don't have to disparage other ways of thinking. We just need to find the people that believe what we believe. And at the money advantage, we do not want to have to fight with people that don't believe what we believe. We would just like to attract people that believe what we believe. And so as we go into this holiday season, I would like to encourage people to have an open mind of how they think about things and and think about different ways of, once again, what I've said, the internet brings us a lot of information, but it doesn't necessarily bring us a lot of wisdom. Because I think that's really good. And um, I'm going to share two thoughts, but I'm going to share them after I finish reading um, this question, just because I think... um, I think we've covered everything, but I just want to make sure that I finished reading out the question. So, um, and again, this is back to Dave and thank you so much, Dave, for asking this question. I think that it's um, really shed a lot of light on questions that other people have as well. So um, here, if I store money in a bank and earn interest, but take a loan from the bank to make a purchase, isn't it a wash? Where's the leverage and how does that benefit me? Is it because the interest rate on the CD is higher than the borrowed interest rate? Bruce, is there anything we want to add there to just add clarity? It is. It's potentially a a wash. I I agree. However, the bank interest rate can change at any time. Okay. Now, the, the loan interest rate stays the same. So a lot of people have noticed that over the years. They've had a longer term interest rate. The other thing that, uh, to answer his question, yes. But the other thing that needs to take into consideration is the fact that you control the terms of the loan. So this is, this is once again, this is becoming another very prevalent thing in the infinite banking community is people are saying, why should I take a loan from the insurance company that's charging me 5% when there's outside companies that will allow me to collateralize my cash value and they will give me an interest rate of 3.75%. And I say, if you're fine with that, go do it. But here's what you you may wanna consider. They control the terms of the loan. So you you have to pay it back on their schedule. You also need to make sure that the assignment of the cash value is only the portion of the cash value that is needed to collateralize a loan. Sometimes they actually require you to assign the entire cash value. Example, you have $100,000 of cash value. You want a $50,000 loan. 
they make you assign the entire hundred thousand, even though you're only asking for a fifty thousand dollar loan. I just ran into this with one of our clients who did not reach out to me before they did it, mm. and he took a loan, and the bank made him assign the entire policy to it, even though he was not able or he took out less of a loan than the cash value. Which and then I just means- thought I just thought of another point too. Every time you make a payment back to the insurance company, that money, that principal amount, it will be available to you as soon as the check clears. Mm-hmm. But you have to reapply for the other loan from an outside, um, an outside source. So, and if the outside institution requires you to assign the full cash value, and you only had a fifty thousand dollar loan, that means. If you've assigned the full hundred thousand of cash value to them, you cannot now borrow against the other fifty thousand that was remaining. So that just limits your future options. And as you're saying, on the life insurance side, as soon as we pay back a portion of that loan, my lien against my cash value then shrinks, freeing up that capital to be used again. Whereas if I've assigned fully the collateral, or I've assigned the loan the cash value, sorry, to another institution. Now I'm in a position where I've paid and I've paid and I've paid and I've paid and I've paid, but it's not fully available for me to borrow against until I've completely settled that entire well, not necessar- contract. Not necessarily. You could ask for permission again to redo the loan, but you have to ask for permission again oh, okay. to redo the loan. So it, it comes back to what I think we said at the first three minutes of this podcast, who controls the banking function? Mm-hmm. You control the banking function when you do it through the insurance company by contract. Yes. You don't control it when you do it with an outside agency. Yes. One last thing that I'll point out, and then I want to finish this question, which is more of just some commentary. When you have capital in a life insurance policy, we've just purely only talked about using it to buy a car at this point. A car is not something that is going to earn you cash flow. It's not going to improve your financial standing. It's an expense. I mean, we can purchase it in the most efficient way possible, but yet it is still an expense. So if we instead use the cash value, borrow against it, and go put that to work in an investment property or in our business, as you mentioned, or we do a marketing venture that then increases our revenue, now we're not only earning cash and cash flow, and we're earning a rate of return outside of the policy, we still are earning a return inside the policy at the same time because we never stop the compounding, which means I'm able to get a return on my same money, on one piece of money, one pool of money, the same money in two places at exactly the same time, just meaning that I'm speeding up and I'm accelerating all of my financial traction and progress towards my goals. So The other thing I wanted to say is that whenever you look at using infinite banking, we're thinking of a long-term view. If you think just in terms of what's best for you next month, you're not probably going to choose infinite banking. If you think about what's best for you next year, you probably are not going to choose infinite banking because maybe you could get more access to your capital if you put it somewhere else. If you think about what's best for you 10 years from now, though, you're really starting to really move the needle on what is going to improve your financial future. The the future you that's going to be living out 10 years. If you think 
about what your life vision is 10 years from now and what exactly you're going to be doing. You're going to have so much more financial power and um, uh, foundation beneath you at that position if you've chosen infinite banking today. But if we even extend that further and we say, what about 50 years from now? You will be in a much better position by using infinite banking. And if you think generationally, if you think to your kids what their financial position will be as a result of you choosing infinite banking today, it's head and shoulders, it's light years ahead of any other option that I've ever seen. And if you think about what is possible for multiple generations after that, it's even more profound. And so the longer range view you have, the more power you have because of what it gives you way out into the future. Now, coming back to the final part of this um, commentary and question by Dave, he said, I know that you've been answering questions on your podcast lately, and I hope you will find it worth your time to address this one. Dave, yes, we absolutely found it worth our time. It's, he said, it seems to be at the center of how this concept works. And once I understand that, I think I may have a breakthrough in my understanding. Thanks for your time and effort, Dave. I hope that this podcast has provided a breakthrough in your understanding if you're listening today and you're thinking about these options of how you store capital, how you use cash to fund your lifestyle, and to think much more broadly and much, much higher from a bigger picture about your entire financial life. So with that, we will wrap this long episode today. Uh, But thank you so much for being with us. If you have questions about the infinite banking concept or about anything in your financial life, anything about making traction on your goals and what you should do to to move forward, we'd love to hear your questions or we'd love to help you personally with those. So I'm going to give you a couple of options. One, you can email us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com and you can go ahead and submit any question there or you can comment on this video wherever you're finding it. Um, If you're finding us on LinkedIn or Facebook or YouTube or Twitter, go ahead and share your comments and your questions and we can answer them in that platform. And we can also bring those questions onto another show like this one. We'd also love to ask you or to invite you, if you are ready to go ahead and say, I want to find out how this concept would work for me. I want to figure out how to leverage my own financial life we invite you to go to themoneyadvantage.com. Right on our homepage, there's a button that says schedule an appointment. I think that's what it says, but it's a button that's for booking an appointment. Check our calendar and you can go ahead and book an appointment, a conversation with an advisor right there. And that is your opportunity to really jumpstart your own trajectory to making those better decisions for generation, for decades and centuries and generations ahead. So thank you for being with us today. We really appreciate you here at The Money Advantage and we value you and want to help see you succeed. In closing, we'll say success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at 
hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.